This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. It's Zuma Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, (laughs) and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we start out with a program that was first aired in 1942. Gee, the year I was born. (laughs) Hey, I'm not afraid to tell my age. I've traveled a lot of roads in 75 years, and not all of them were paved. In fact, that's what I love about Zuma Radio. We celebrate our advancing years with optimism, and hey, at my age, I'm delighted anybody wants me. Okay, enough bragging. Let's get to tonight's show. Matter of fact, uh, at the half hour, we're going to listen to another story about the laziest detective to ever chase a criminal. That would be Nero Wolfe. And that story comes up after we deal with the great Gildersleeve. And the episode tonight, Gildy's Goat. Kraft presents the great Gildersleeve. (laughs) The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as the great Gildersleeve. Written by Leonard L. Levinson. Now it's time to join that busy businessman, that solid citizen and that unctuous uncle, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, who's arrived home from the office an hour earlier than usual today because of a splitting headache. home at this hour. Oh, good afternoon, Marjorie. I closed the office early on account of a splitting headache. Oh, that's too bad. How are you feeling? Just wonderful. What about the headache? Oh, she went home. (laughs) She? Yes, I didn't have the headache. It was my secretary, Miss Rep Vogel. I kept telling the girl, uh, poor girl, to get glasses, but she thinks they'll spoil her good looks. If that girl ever wore glasses, she could see that she hasn't any good looks. (laughs) That's probably why she doesn't wear them. Anyhow, after she left, I guess I got a touch of spring fever. Oh, you did? Yes, you know. In the spring, a young man's fancy uh, lightly turns into thoughts. Uh, <laughs> that's from Loxley's Hall, Tennyson. Hey, Marge! Gee whiz, you can't imagine what wandered into our backyard just now. Hi, Uncle Mort. There's a goat in our backyard. Is a goat? Sure, a real live billy goat with all the accessories. A beard at one end and a tail at the other. If... And two horns. Uh, well, and a very good bumper, too, I'll bet. <laughs> What's it doing in our yard? Well, it pulled up some of those onions you planted, and right now it's having dinner. <gasps> onions? 
I never planted it. Oh, good heavens, those are my crocus bulbs. Yes, folks. Oh, why didn't you stop him? Hey? Uncle Mort, please come along and help. Yes, certainly, my dear. Come along, Leroy. Oh, gee, crocus, do you think you'll crop the goat? Yep. <laughs> Leroy, I can see you don't know very much about a goat suggestion. Oh, now you get right out of my flower garden, you old devil. Uncle <laughs> Mort, make him stop eating my flowers. Now tell him to quit. Yes, all right, my dear. Now, see here, if... if What's the goat's name, Leroy? I don't know. We just can't call him anonymous. Oh, I know. Let's call him Horace after Judge Horace Hooker, eh? Huh? <laughs> There's quite a resemblance between those two old goats anyway. <laughs> oh, Uncle Mort, you don't really mean that. No, Leroy. The goat's more intelligent looking. <laughs> oh, hurry, Uncle Mort. While you've been talking, that goat's eaten four crocuses, all the nasturtiums, and now he started on my lilies. Lilies? He has, has he? <laughs> You get away from those lilies, Horace Quickly now, before you wind up holding one of them <laughs> Looks like Horace has been eating the radishes, too <laughs> hey, Come on, Leroy, help me drag him out of there Well, maybe I can handle him myself, Uncle Moore huh? Come on out of there, Horace, old boy uh... Nice little ghost Palsy walsy At a boy, that's right. You see, all you have to do is treat him with kindness. Oh, look, Uncle Morty likes you. Well, isn't that cute? Look at that, Uncle Morty's chewing his sleeve. Yeah, he is. Stop that, Horace. Let go. Unhand me, sir. <laughs> yes, Horace, don't chew Uncle's sleeve. You might choke on the buttons. <laughs> Be nice to your Uncle Mort. I'm not that goat's Uncle Mort. Now, Leroy, you take this silly Billy back to its owner. Gee, Uncle, I don't know who he belongs to. Nobody around here keeps goats. He must have wandered in from out of town. Well, he can wander right back out again. You hear that goat? Beat it. Skidoo. Vamoose. That's Spanish for scram, Leroy. Viper casa. What's that? That Portuguese for vamoose. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeepers, Uncle. Couldn't we keep him for just a little while? Leroy, we're not running a bye-to-wee for belligerent billy goats. <laughs> But he'd make a keen pet. Young man, your pets have been my peeve. We've let you keep rabbits, turtles, and frogs, and chipmunks. But goats are more than I can stomach. And goodness knows I can stomach a lot. <laughs> I agree, Uncle Mort. Now, how can we get rid of him? I'll uh, call the city hall. City hall? Yes, there must be some department down there that handles runaway goats. But gee, Uncle, why can't we just keep him? I'll tell you why, my boy. In the first place, he doesn't belong to us. In the second place, whoever owns him might want him back. In the third place, I won't have him tearing up our place in the first place. <laughs> Quiet, you. Hello. 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 Now, Uncle Moore, don't lose your temper. Why shouldn't I lose my temper? Been on this telephone till I've gotten a cauliflower ear. Well, maybe no one down at City Hall wants a goat. There must be some department that handles them down there, Leroy. By George, what are we paying taxes for? Operator, wake up. Good afternoon, City Hall. Oh, good afternoon, my dear. Did you have a nice nap? <laughs> what do you want, please? This is still Flockmorton P. Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, the goat man. <laughs> one moment, please. One moment, please. I'd like to see Hitler hold his breath for one of her moments. <laughs> Leroy, did you tie that goat to the tree like I told you to? Yes, I did, Uncle, only he chewed through the rope. Oh, dear, what's he doing now? Oh, nothing, just standing there eating the rest of the rope. <laughs> well, let's give him enough rope and maybe he'll operate her. 
Who are you waiting for, please? I want somebody to come and get my goat. Well, just hold on. Here you are. Oh, at last. Mr. Entwistle, I'm calling about a goat. Sorry, that's not my line. I don't handle sick goats. It, but this goat isn't sick. Oh, then you want Percy Bodkin, just a second. <laughs> hello, Bodkin speaking. Uh, hello, Mr. Bodkin. We've got a goat down at our house. Yeah, I know. It hasn't any nose. How does it smell? Terrible. I've heard that one. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a perfectly healthy goat. Are you sure? Has it had a physical lately? <laughs> Uh, look, it's straight into our yard. We want you to come and take it away. But I'm just the inspector of goat's milk. <laughs> this isn't an Annie goat, it's a Bill. Oh, Bill, he's out to lunch now. I'll have him call you when he gets back. Oh. <laughs> operator, operator. One moment, sir. I'm trying to help you. Here's Mr. McCorkle in Lost and Found. Go ahead, Mac. Hello. I understand you lost a coat. What kind? Overcoat, top coat, sport coat, or Mac? <laughs> no, no, not a coat. Uh, a goat. Oh, a goat? Yeah. Here in the city hall? No, here at home. How could you lose a goat at home? You probably just mislaid it. Yes, mis- <laughs> I didn't mislaid it. I found it. Well, then if you found it, why are you bothering me? Because it isn't mine. But does the coat fit you? Yeah, it's not a coat. It's a goat. A G-O-T, goat. Oh, now I understand. I'll switch you over to the park commission. They use them on the lake. Use what on the lake? Boats. Oh! <laughs> no, no, operator, operator. It's... Hello, City Planning Commission. I don't want the Planning Commission. I just want to find out how to get rid of a goat. Oh, yes, the phone girl told me. Well, all you have to do is come down here and sign a complaint. I'll be glad to. Then what happens? We'll send a policeman out and he'll arrest that man. He can't keep a goat in a residential zone. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Leroy, time for you to trot off to bed. Oh, but gee, it's early, huh? Can't I read to the end of the chapter? No, young man. Before you go to your room, I want you to go outside and chase that miserable goat out of our yard. You mean tonight? Right now. And lock the gate so he can't get back in again. Okay, but it's a pretty tough break for the old fellow. No place to turn to late at night. I thought you just said it was early. Sure for me, but not for a goat. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Now, now, let's not get sentimental about a billy goat. Yeah, but how would you feel if it was a cold night and you were all alone in a strange city and you were a goat? Well, I'd feel... How do I know I'm not a goat? <laughs> well, Uncle Mort, just supposing you were, Horace. Uh, uh, Leroy, sit down. We're going to have a little man-to-man talk. Gee, like Andy Hardy? Just sit down, young man. Oh, I don't want to appear hard-hearted. But we've got to look at this entire goat problem from the practical standpoint. Understand? Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, first of all, am I this goat's keeper? Did I invite him to come here and live with us? No, but you never told him he couldn't come either, Unc. What's that got to do? Let's be calm about this, Leroy. <laughs> the trouble with you, young man, is that you're too impulsive. I am? Yes. You should carefully consider what you're jumping into and then don't jump. Why, what business would we have owning a goat? Horse, well, business. We could run him out to the neighbors as a lawnmower. Yes, a lawnmower. <laughs> That's not the point, Leroy. Let's get down to cold, bare facts. Sure. Poor old Horace is cold and bare, and that's a fact. Uh. <laughs> and homeless and lonesome, too. But you've got to realize, my boy, that that isn't our fault. Oh, I do, Unc. And I realize it wouldn't be our fault either if we threw him out and it started to rain and he caught cold and wound up with double pneumonia. Yes, double Oh, yes, that's perfectly true. If you think it's going to rain. What do we care if it does? I never heard of a goat catching double pneumonia before. Well, suppose he doesn't. Then he may starve to death or get run over by a truck. Oh, I'd hate to think that... Leroy, maybe I've been too impulsive. Oh, no, Uncle. 
Well, I guess I better go out and chase Horace out of our backyard. Yes, uh, uh, you needn't bother, my boy. I'll uh, take care of those things myself. But you said that I was supposed uh, to... Never mind, Leroy. It might rain, and if that poor old goat hasn't got anywhere else to go, it won't hurt us if he spends the night under our mulberry bush. Gee, for Zunk, then we're going to keep him? There you go, acting impulsive again. But he hasn't given us any trouble since he had his dinner. Yeah, do you remember what he had for dinner? A delicious set of Grandma Gildersleeve's lace curtains. <laughs> but he won't do it again. I'll watch him, Uncle. How about it? Well, we'll see, Leroy. I'm going to see that you get straight to bed. Come on. Well, I'm going. You don't need to come with me, Uncle. Yeah, I'm going to my room anyway. There's an old blanket in my closet I'm going to take outside for that goat, in case it gets cold tonight, or if he gets hungry. <laughs> oh, I don't think you need to bother, Uncle. He'll, he'll be just fine without that. Well, seeing that I'm the host, of course, I might as well... If, uh... Leroy, what's going on in your room? Oh, nothing, Uncle. Nothing, eh? Well, let's take a look. <laughs> Leroy, look at your mattress. That's the last straw. <laughs> Do you think that was the last straw, Judge Hooker? No. I put that Horace... Horace! Uh, I mean that goat. <laughs> I put him outside after that, and he spent the night bleeding his brains out. Well, what have you done about it today? Well, I placed an ad in the lost and found section of the newspaper. I expect... Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Hello, Judge Hooker. Have you two heard the latest news about the Gildersleeve goat? Oh, of course you haven't. You haven't been home, I mean. Uh, well, we haven't had so much excitement in the neighborhood since that donut truck ran over that coffee salesman. Yes, <laughs> My goodness, Dottie, what's happened now? Well, your goat has developed the worst habit. He's playing games with everybody. What sort of games? Well, there's one called Button, Button, Who's Gonna Get the Button? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, it usually starts with somebody playing Drop the Handkerchief, and then the goat plays Hop, Skip, and Bump, and then bingo, you're it. <laughs> Great jumping jeeps. Come on, Judge, let's go. Uh, thank you for telling us, Dottie. Well, that's all right. Well, the neighbors say they're going to sue you for damages, but for the life of me, I can't see why they want more damages. <laughs> Shake a leg, Judge, before that goat busts me into bankruptcy. Ooh, by George, there he is now. Say, he's a cute-looking fella. Yes. Now, there are people who think you're cute-looking, too, Judge, and for the very same reason. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, any similarity between you and that goat is purely coincidental, but there's still definitely a similarity. <laughs> uh, Bertie! Afternoon, Mr. Gildersleeve. Afternoon to you, too, Judge. Ready? I don't suppose the owner of that goat showed up. No, sir, he didn't. He's a powerful, smart man, that man is. However, there was another man around here looking for to buy that goat. Well, why didn't you sell it to him? Well, now, suppose I did, and the owner showed up. That's how people get themselves into poking. In... <laughs> but we have a legal right to sell this animal now, haven't we, Judge? That's right. The decision was handed down in State of Nebraska versus two unclaimed guinea pigs... Later amended to Nebraska versus unspecified number of guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine, Judge. Now, Bertie, do you remember the name of the man who wanted to buy that goat? No, sir, I don't. Oh, what a pity. But he left his card. Here it is. Oh, his card. Good. Let's have it. Thanks. You? I'll pick it up. And never mind, Bertie. I'll get it. Look out, Kelly. Get up. Here comes that goat. What'd you say, Judge? What's all the commotion? Here, let me help you up. You aren't hurt, are you, Gildy? No, no, of course not, Judge. I'm just practicing forced landings. That's all. <laughs> Where is that goat? You better get rid of him, Mr. Gilsey. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell him right now. Where's that man's card I dropped? Well, it was on the grass a minute ago. Yes, it was right away. Oh, somebody stopped that goat. Oh, it's too late. He just chewed up the card with the customer's name. <laughs> 
return to the great Gildersleeve, who's putting the finishing touches on a temporary goat pen to hold Horace until he can be sold, given away, or just tied to some fence and ran from. Yeah. There we are, Leroy. And there you are, Mr. Goat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap in the hammock, Leroy. Okay, you take it easy. I'm going over to Piggy Bank's house and see if his mother will let him take Horace. All right. Only don't wake me up unless she's foolish enough to say yes. <laughs> Gee, poor Uncle Mort. He's getting to the age where he can't take these things. Oh, my gosh, dames. Oh, there you are, Leroy. We've been looking for you, haven't we, girls? That's right. We just come from our first aid lesson, and we need a victim quick to practice on before we forget everything we learned just now. So come on, little man. Let us bandage you up. Nothing doing, Sally. The last time you guys wrapped up my leg, my foot was asleep all afternoon. <laughs> Besides, i got to see a lady about a goat. Well, it looks like we'll have to practice on each other. Oh, no. Let, let's see if Bertie's here. Oh, Bertie, would you like to come out here and be a victim? A victim of what, Miss Marsh? Circumstances? <laughs> no. Of a broken leg, brain, burns, everything. No, ma'am, I have absolutely no inclinations in that direction. <laughs> we just want to practice first aid on you. We're just going to pretend that you're hurt. Can't you do it just pretending I'm there, too? I've got a pressing engagement to press that dress she wants to wear tonight. But if you want me to leave, that's the goal. No, 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 Bertie, no. We'll, we'll find someone else. Oh, say, Marge, isn't that your uncle over there in the hammock? Yes. Oh. <laughs> He'd make an awfully jolly patient, wouldn't he? Well, I don't know. You think we've got enough bandages to go around it? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to over and ask him, huh? Come on, girl. All right, well, let's be quiet. Oh, uh, Mr. Gillespie, do you mind if we use you as a dummy to practice our first aid on and the kind nobody else will, and you don't have to disturb yourself in the least because we can go right ahead just the way you are. <laughs> the shoe flies go away. <laughs> He's asleep. We shouldn't disturb him, Dottie. If Uncle Mort's asleep, I don't think even Dottie can disturb him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you mean it's all right to proceed? Sure. Just as long as we don't treat him too roughly or push him out of the hammock. Oh, goody. I've just been waiting for a chance like this to practice my tourniquet. Now, just hold still, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> well, this would be a good time to work on chest bandages. No, I'm afraid we'd have to get him up for that. Well, couldn't I just roll the bandage around him and the hammock? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that would seem logical. Well, what are you going to do, Margie? Oh, I think I'll work on that treatment for burns and rub some of this salve on Uncle's face. <laughs> You'd probably keep him from getting sunburnt, too. Mm. Ooh, this salve is certainly strong. My, mm. <laughs> your uncle is certainly a sound sleeper. Yes, just listen to that sound. <laughs> I never thought it would take so many matte bandages to go around your uncle's circumference, Marjorie. <laughs> yes, that takes in a lot of territory, doesn't it? Gosh, but this stuff is sticky. Anyone have an extra handkerchief? Mm-hmm. Just a second and I'll be through. Then... Oh! Dolly Dobson, what are you doing to my uncle? Well, I'm just tightening this tourniquet. But good heavens, Dolly, you never use a tourniquet on the neck. <laughs> Where's well, that twisted? Oh, 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 Like this? Oh, here he comes. 
I can't get up. Who tied me down here? Well, why'd you do it? Oh, it's you. What do you want? You get away from me. Oh, your nose is cold. Quit licking my face. Horace, your beard tickles. Mr. Gilsey, don't you think you'd better figure out some way to get rid of that goat? Because the animosity against him on the outside is beginning to penetrate on the inside. If, uh, what do you mean, Bertie? Well, I happen to know a certain very reliable and capable cook who has been offered a most lucrative position in a completely goatless household. Or <laughs> uh, should I be more specific? If... No, no, no. I think I understand, Bertie. And I'm trying to get rid of Horace, too. Well, I sure hope she does. And instantaneously, too. I'm tired of flying a kite from the second floor every time I got clothes to dry and wearing a skillet whenever I have to bustle out into the yard. And you folks ain't had it so easy either, eating them buffet dinners every night standing up. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go into that, Bertie. It's a painful subject. Oh, excuse me, Uncle Mort. I didn't know you were here. Come here, young man. Who, me, Uncle? Of course you. Leroy. Did you have anything to do with Horace chasing the postman down the street and then eating our morning mail? Well, only indirectly, Uncle Mort. Yeah? You see, I was trying to train him to fetch the mail inside every morning the way Piggy Banks' dog does. Well, he fetched it inside, all right. <laughs> Maybe we ought to buy him a muzzle. Yeah, what's the use? He'd eat that, too. <laughs> what we should do is saw off his horns, trim off his beard, and then tip off the dog catcher. <laughs> That Uncle Mort, he likes you. Yes. Every time he sees you, a look steals into his great, big, beautiful blue eyes. Too bad I couldn't see that look when I was bending over to find the keyhole last night. <laughs> he knocked me clear into the sitting room. <laughs> yeah, now what? As if I didn't know. Mr. Gillsleeve? Yes, that's me. I'm from the city hall. Do you keep a goat on these premises in violation of the city zoning code? Of course you do. I can see him from here. Do you have county license to conduct a goat dairy as provided for in the civil statutes of this state? I thought not. Has a force head goat proven a nuisance to serve her to the peace and menace to life, limb, and real estate values? I thought as much. Better get rid of him at once, Gildersleeve. That goat is butting into everybody's business these days. <laughs> All right, that's enough of me. Get your cap, Leroy, and come along. Okay. Where are we going, Uncle? You heard the man. We're going to take that backyard battering ram out to the country and get rid of him. Here, Horace. Come on, nice little goat. Yes, sir. <laughs> you lead him around to the car, Leroy. All right. Careful, Uncle. You'll trip your shoelaces untied. Shoelaces untied? Oh, thank you. I've got to fix it now. Oh, we got on kick and cover. I don't see him. Where is he? Right beside you. No, no, Horace. <laughs> I fooled him that time. How old? I'm wearing my air raid warden helmet where it'll do the most good. Slow down, Uncle Mort. Let's try that farmer up ahead. That farmer? Oh, yes. But this is our eighth stop, Leroy. I never thought there were so many goat haters in this part of the country. Uh, hello there, neighbor. Well, hello there. 
Oh, uh, how would you like to buy a dandy goat at a cheap price? No, no, thank you, gentlemen. Gee, why not? This goats is too stubborn. They're used like yak assassins. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just look at this animal. He's a genuine Jim. A genuine Jim? <laughs> he look more like a York by genuine. <laughs> you can have him for only two dollars. <laughs> no, no, too high. All right, I'm tired of hauling him around the countryside. You can have him for nothing. That's still too high. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, suppose I give you uh, three or four dollars. How about that? Oh, no, you're yoshing me. I'm not yoshing you. Uh, joshing you. <laughs> well, what do you say? No. But why not? That goat is for ten dollars, for sure. If you ask less, something done wrong, sure. You get along now. Get off my property. I don't want no dealings with hot goats. Well, for the hot goats. Uh-oh. Horace, what have you done? Gee, Uncle, look at the upholstery in the back seat. The upholstery? Oh, where is it? I got the latest. <laughs> All right, brother, this is the end of the line. What you gonna do, Uncle? Open that back door, Leroy. Uh, now, get out, Horace. Uh, shut the door quickly, Leroy. All right. G- goodbye, Horace. Yeah, goodbye, Horace. <laughs> well, let's get home, Leroy. Yes, it's... Uh, uh, yeah. My goodness, look, we're out of gas, Leroy. Horace, get away from those tires. <laughs> It's 7 o'clock, Miss Marge. You still want to wait dinner for Mr. Gilsleeve and Leroy? Oh, yes, Bertie. Just a little while longer, anyhow. Oh, I do hope they come back without that goat. Yes, ma'am, and so does everybody else who's ever come in contact with him. (laughs) So to give the devil his dues, that horse had the most personality I ever saw in a goat. Too bad it was all negative. (laughs) Oh, I don't know what we'll do if they bring him back again. Do you think we can hide him someplace where the neighbors wouldn't find out? No, ma'am. They'd sure get the wind of it somehow. <laughs> I guess you're right. Well, here we are. Oh. Is dinner ready, Bertie? Yes, sir. How about that horse goat? Oh, we found out who owned him and gave him back. You did? Who does he belong to? Uh, Summerfield Railroad Yard. The railroad yard? Well, I've heard of donkey engines and cow catchers, but what do goats do on the railroad? Well, that horse works down at the stockyards. He leads the sheep out of the pens and into the boxcars. Yeah, and when he ran away, they thought he'd been shipped somewhere by mistake. Yes, they were terribly glad to get him back again because it's practically impossible to move the sheep unless he leaves them. Oh, well, thank goodness that's all over. You said it. Well, now, if you both get all cleaned up, I'll put dinner on right away. Oh, dinner, and have I got an appetite. Yeah, me too. Come on, Uncle Morton. Yes, sure. You don't know what a load this is off my shoulders. Why, I feel like if... Uh, I feel like something's wrong. What's that noise outside? Oh, I can't imagine. It's not... You better go to the door, Uncle. Yes, I'll soon find out. <laughs> oh, great jumping sheep. Horace has come back again, and he's brought all his little sheep friends with him. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in this war that we're fighting, there are a million stirring stories of valor and endurance and personal sacrifice. 
at this very moment, on every ocean, men of our Navy are writing an heroic page in our history. And in order that they may fight with untroubled hearts, secure in the knowledge that their loved ones at home are not in distress, the Navy Relief Society is asking us to contribute a fund of $5 million. That's right, Marjorie. For 40 years, the men of our Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard have provided immediate direct relief for their dependents themselves. But now, since Pearl Harbor, the need has become much greater. And so all of us are going to have the privilege of helping. Give now, and give generously. Either to your local Navy Relief Drive, or to the Navy Relief Society, 730 Fifth Avenue, New York City. That's right, 730 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Thank you, and good night, ladies and gentlemen. Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This program has come to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Nero Wolf next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Nero Wolf. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means adventure. Hello? Hello? The young man answering the phone is Archie Goodwin. Yes, this is Nero Wolf's office. The mountain of a man in the oversized armchair staring at Archie with a beady eye is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf is in. Mr. Wolf is always in. Would he stay in until... He would. Archie, what on earth? Boss, she sounds blonde. Phooey. Don't believe I can tell over the phone? Okay. Excuse me, miss, but are you blonde? Oh. Go ahead and laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. Wolf will see you. Goodbye. I did not see No, but you will. Besides, she wasn't blonde. And I want you to see red. Oh, Archie, better think of some new ones. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, bulkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world. That chair-born genius, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight, it's the case of the girl who cried wolf. In the old brownstone house in 35th Street, my boss, Nero Wolf, with all his 300 pounds sits at his desk from which he runs his world. We have been patiently waiting for the lady client. And there's a knock at the door, and I admit her. A beautiful, frightened, and red-headed girl. Mr. Wolf? Mr. Nero Wolf? Not by 160 pounds. I'm Archie Goodwin. Oh, yes. I spoke to you on the phone. I'm... I'm Mary Dunning, Mr. Goodwin. I was wondering if... He's in. He's always in. Come on. We'll try getting him to admit it. 
This is Mr. Wolf. Miss Mary Dunning. How do you do, Miss Dunning? Here, take this red leather chair. It's a nice match for your hair. You know, as old Dr. Tidmouse has said to me, beware of a red-headed woman. But I never could believe Thank you, Mr. Goodwin. Your business, Miss Dunning? Do you mean what I do or, or why I've come to you? Both, if you please. Well, I'm Mr. Stevens' secretary at the Tolliver Ecological Foundation. Our offices are down on East 12th Street. Uh, ecological? Fear research as to factors operating on plant and animal development and survival, Archie. Animal development, huh? Miss Dunning, the foundation has several agricultural research projects throughout the country, hasn't it? That's right, Mr. Wolf. And Donald Stevens is executive director. Or was until... Was? He's disappeared. It's been three days now. He's not been near the office, nor his apartment. No message or... Apartment? Stevens been living alone? He's a bachelor. He's engaged to Laura Tolliver. She's a cousin of the original Tollivers. But she doesn't know where he is either. Have you come to me on Laura Tolliver's account or on behalf of the foundation? Well... Well, neither, Mr. Wolf. I'm just worried and... And I'd heard of you as one of the finest private detectives in New York. You heard of me, Miss Dunning. We see that you're here. I still fail to understand why. But I've told you. Mr. Stevens has dropped out of sight. And there's another thing. The last time I saw him, he had a caller with him in his office. Caller? Male? Female? I don't know. We're in a converted old brownstone house and... Well, the way the offices are laid out, I don't see all the people who come in unless they make a point of coming to my desk. Mm Mm-hmm, I see. All I know is that Mr. Stevens stepped out for a moment, looking either scared or angry, I couldn't be sure which, and asked me to see if there was a policeman at the corner. Which corner? (laughs) Archie, continue, Miss Dunning. Well, I started to go, and there were low voices arguing from the inner office. And then Mr. Stevens called me not to bother. Never mind. He said I could go ahead and take my lunch hour then. So I did. And when I came back, he was gone. Leaving no message? Leaving no message. And you've neither seen or heard of him since? I've tried all over. By phone, going out myself. Miss Dunning, has Mr. Stevens been in the habit of making extended business trips? Well, once in a while to our research stations in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or up in Vermont, but not without letting me know. I have to make out his travel vouchers. Has there been any recent trouble at the foundation? Trouble? Financial trouble? Personal trouble? No, there's been no trouble. Miss Dunning, you're wasting my time and yours. This is a problem for the police, if there is a problem. Oh, oh no, Mr. Wolf. I, I'd have gone to the police, except... Well, if there should be an innocent explanation, it didn't seem fair to the foundation to risk the unpleasant publicity of... I said for the police. Oh, uh, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. It's your say-so, but... When a girl walks in here and asks... A young lady can depart by the use of the same rather trim legs that carried her here, Archie. Oh, now look, boss, just because I look at... stunning. I can think of a dozen reasons that might take your bachelor director out of town for a few days without the formality of explaining his actions. Then you won't look into this? Despite Mr. Goodwin's frowns, no. Should Mr. Stevens not turn up tomorrow or so, I suggest you advise the police or whatever attorney acts for the foundation. There is such a person, of course. Yes. Jonas Dowd is counsel. He's also a co-trustee. Consult him, then, by all means. But you don't seem to understand. If you'll excuse me, I'm overdue for an important conference with my cook. We have just received a shipment of truffles from France. 
Well, of course, if Mr. I... Wolf, if you ask me... Precisely I... what I have refrained from doing, Archie. Would you be good enough to escort Miss Dunning to the door? To the door, Archie. Good night, Miss Dunning. Good night. Good night. And thanks, just the same. Look, Mr. Wolf, it's your shop and you can get as surly as you please. But can you give me one excuse for that high-handed brush? One thin shred of an excuse? Miss Dunning was sitting in the this chair... The girl was lying, Archie. Lying? How can you say At that? At least twice. And possibly from the moment she opened that undeniably pretty mouth. Now, if you would excuse me, Archie, I have an appointment with a truffle. <laughs> surprise for me, Archie. Enough to yank you three inches out of that chair. Remember the girl who was here last night, Mary Dunning? You seem unwilling to let me forget her. Well, I took off on my own this morning to check up on that foundation setup. Good, Archie. I ventured a small bet with Fritz that you would. All right. See if your bet included this. I found Stevens down there, right in his office. Missing executive director? Yes, and the missing Mr. Stevens claimed he had just been on a business trip. Delayed getting back because his car had been smacked by a hit-and-run driver in New Jersey. Now, here's the payoff. He even tried to make out that he'd been thinking of calling you in on a problem. Hit-and-run accident? No, no, something about the foundation. But I didn't waste time letting him cloud it up for us. The point is... Archie, you brought him here, of course. Stevens? No, he's still down there. We'll want to grab him before the day is out, but I had something more important to run down first. It took me three calls on the way up here, but you can take it as confirmed. We've still got a disappearance case, and this one you're not sitting out. Indeed. And who has disappeared now? Mary Dunning. Stevens is back, but Mary's gone. Not at the office, not at her rooming house, and none of her clothes are taken. How'd you get going? Put a police call out on Mary. Back to 12th Street and get Stevens out of that office and up here as fast as you can. I'll phone him. You are on the way. Yes, this is Donald Stevens. Is Nero Wolf. I understand you've been thinking of consulting me. Well, as a matter of fact, I have, Mr. Wolf. I started to explain to Mr. Goodwin, but... Uh... Are you alone there at the office? Why, well, yes. As it happens... Be careful. I don't think your car smash up was an accident. I've just sent Mr. Goodwin to ask you to come here. Meanwhile, I'd suggest... Oh, excuse me, Mr. Wolf. There seems to be someone coming in now. Wait, Mr. Stevens. There hasn't been time for Archie to get there yet. Excuse me, Mr. Wolf. Just hold the wire a moment. Wait, Mr. Stevens. Uh, come on in. I haven't had a chance yet. Oh, what? No! No! And that's all Inspector Kramer has been able to make of it, Archie? Not to hear him tell it, but that's all he's got. Stephen dead and the girl still missing. Did you find anything helpful at the office? I think the murderer started to tear up some account books and project ledgers, but I must have scared him away when I rang the bell. Couldn't have been more than three or four minutes after the shooting when I got there. But you saw no one? Hmm. The murderer can cover a lot of ground in three or four minutes. You were uh, naturally by accident, since it is mildly illegal. You had a good look at the dead man? A very good look. Not to mention his pockets. Anything particular? Well, there was a half-eaten package of lifesavers in the left-hand trouser pocket. What's particular about that? The flavor was lime. I hate lime. Foy. 
<laughs> Archie, I uh, called Jonas Dowd last night. The foundation lawyer? Yes, he set up the original charter under which Donald Stevens operated with an annual fund of $90,000. Ecology has its attractions. 90,000 attractions, to be precise. It indicates a possible reason for Stevens' murder. He was in sole charge of that money. Somebody donated 338 caliber bullets to him. Hardly a token of appreciation. Perhaps not. However, the shooting followed the attempt to stage an automobile accident. Archie, I sent Saul Panza on an errand for me. Saul, huh? He's expensive. True, he's the best man in the shadow job there is, but... You've got something, huh? Possibility. An angle I can't handle? Apart from your natural preference for curves, you more than work enough here in New York. Finding Mary Dunning for a starter. Or, uh, her body? Or her body, as it may be. Is that what Saul's on, picking up a line on Mary? Among other chores, Saul's is buying me some special groceries at the city market. You frown, Archie. I glower. But okay, play it cozy. You can send Saul off to Stockholm for smorgasbord for all I care. I'm still asking, what about Stevens and what about Mary? Where do we start? I'm expecting Laura Tolliver, the heiress and the son of Jonas Dowd here within a few minutes. Jonas Dowd himself proved as difficult to pry from the office as... As you generally are from this one. Oh, good for old Jonas. Wait a minute, though. You said a son was coming. Would that be Peter Dowd? It would be. Could I trouble you to pass that second bottle of beer? It's your third. Stop auditing me, Archie. You reacted to the name of Peter Dowd. May I ask why? Kramer is ahead of you on that pitch. He's had Peter Dowd downtown already. And learn? Playboy used to be in love with Laura Tolliver. Now in line to take over Stephen's tidy 20000 a year salary as executive director. To take over? Fui. Peter Dowd's no ecologist. He's got more important qualifications. His old man and Laura Tolliver are co-trustees under the Tolliver will. And the director can be anybody they name. Archie, you sound prejudiced against young Mr. Dowd. Yeah, that's what Kramer said. I'm just naturally suspicious of anybody who stood to pick up 20 grand a year, plus a whack at the 90,000 a year in house money, just by throwing 338 caliber slugs into Stevens. Particularly after getting rid of Mary Dunning to clear the way. The police still have no leads on Miss Dunning? A for effort, Z for results. Now, the way I see it, boss... Leg work now, Archie. The case is later. You might try Miss Dunning's landlady again for one, and try Peter Dowd's apartment. Now? Yes. I'd say go along and keep after the missing girl. Instead of sifting through the names in Stephen's appointment book you were asking about? It's two legs of the same animal. The names may help on the girl. Now, Archie, on your way. Come in. Mr. Wolf? Yes, come in, Miss Tolliver, Mr. Dowd. Sit down. Yep. It's good of you both to come. Miss Tolliver, I'm profoundly sorry of your loss. You were to marry Mr. Stevens, as I understand it. Yes, three weeks from today. I was trying to warn poor Stevens just as the murderer came in. But he evidently knew his caller well enough to feel no alarm. The uh, police told us that, Mr. Wolf. We've just come from Inspector Kramer's office. I know, Mr. Dowd. Did you gather the inspector meant to see you again? Why should he? How could anyone think that, well, that, that Peter could have anything to do with this, this horrible business? I see that you have no doubts about Mr. Dowd here, Mr. Oliver. Easy, Laura. Yes, Mr. Wolf. I, I gathered that Kramer was interested in me. He's got a man outside here watching us now. You're alert, Mr. Dowd, or... Oh, what? 
or aware that Inspector Kramer may have grounds for keeping you under surveillance. Look, Mr. Wolf, I didn't come here to be put through the jumps again. First Kramer and now you. I'm acting for the daughter of a foundation, Mr. Dowd. I have been since your father attained me last night. Well, why jump on me, then? Young man at my age and weight, the chances of my jumping on anyone are about as likely as, uh, well, as unlikely as to expect that you are not still in love with Miss Laura Tolliver here. Mr. Wolf, we haven't admitted that, that we... Miss Tolliver, Miss Tolliver, your concern a moment ago at the possibility that this young man might be charged with Stephen's murder... Now, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. Climb back on me if you want, but let Laura alone. If you're trying to... to I'm no longer trying, Mr. Dowd. You both confirmed the point for me. All right. I am still in love with Laura. I think Laura's known ever since she accepted Stephen's ring that that their engagement was a mistake. What are you going to make of that? Did Stevens know you hadn't given up on Laura? I told him twice. I even went down to the foundation just... Just when, Mr. Dowd? This morning while I was telephoned Stevens, for example? I... I... I haven't been near the foundation office for days. I, I've... Well, I, I've been out of town. Mr. Wolf, you've no right to twist and turn everything Peter says. I do love him, but I... Laura. Well, that's, that's the first time you've come right out with it since... I'm sorry, Peter. I've wanted to tell you a thousand times. But, well, you kept going away on all those trips, and I never knew whether it was for some other girl or... <clears throat> Mr. Dowd, Miss Tolliver, could this tender exchange be postponed till you two find yourselves alone? Go ahead, Mr. Wolf. Ask anything you want, as long as I know it's all right with Laura here. Brownie spoken, Mr. Dowd. May I ask about Mary? Ma- What's Mary Dunning got to do with this? I am glad you're aware of the Mary I meant. Well, well, I, I, I've met her at the foundation, of course. We've all heard she's missing. You couldn't suggest where she might be. How would Peter know? Let's return to Mr. Stevens. Can either of you explain his three days' absence from the city? I've been out of town myself. Mr. Oliver? He could have been inspecting any one of the research plants. He didn't tell me, if that's what you mean. Stevens said this morning he had been willing to consult me. You can't suggest why? Well, no, I can't. About foundation business or personal business? Three thirty-eight caliber bullets kept Mr. Stevens from making that clear, Mr. Oliver. Mr. Dowd's father is sending me over some material, but as yet, it's not in my hands. Are you familiar with the personnel at the research stations? There aren't any more than four or five project managers. Halsey in Vermont, Schwartzdown, Pennsylvania. Excuse me. Here, Wolf? Archie. Yes, Archie. You can take it back about Mary Dunning. If she's a liar, she's just gone to a lot of trouble to make it look good. Dead? No, but knocked out with chloroform and stuffed in a closet in a man's apartment. And uh, guess whose apartment? Spare me your charades, Archie. Peter Dowd's. That's where I'm calling from. Is he still with you? As it happens, yes. You better hang on to him. There's been another development. Inspector Kramer's got hold of a man named Schwartz. The Pennsylvania project manager. Right. Schwartz was at the foundation office this morning, and he says Peter Dowd was going in as he came out. When? Within minutes of your call to Stevens. Kramer's on his way to your place now to pick up young Dowd. Any uh, instructions? I'd like more company. Well, the ball game is all wrapped up, isn't it? I'd still like more company. Right, Mary and Schwartz? If you can get them here. And Archie. Yes? Get them here. <laughs> I'll have that fifth bottle of beer, Archie. Seventh and quarter for the night. 
And when do you get around to calling in Mary and our friend Schwartz? In a moment, Archie, in a moment. After all that scramble to get him here. I've been studying these projects reports that Jonas Dowd sent over. Fascinating field ecology. I know. The factors playing on the development and survival of living organisms. Too bad poor Stevens didn't figure on a factor named Peter Dowd. Archie, I'm ready for Mr. Swartz now. No, Mary? I'll risk you in the next room with Miss Dunning for the time being. Okay. One Schwartz coming up. I'll come in, Mr. Schwartz. Mr. Wolf. How do you do, Mr. Swartz? My apologies for this long wait you've had. And I'll try to make our business brief. Yes, sir. Mr. Swartz, you managed the Tolliver Agricultural Research Station in Pennsylvania for some time. Two years. I am not sure I didn't once enjoy a shipment of mushrooms that came from your place. You've experimented with Maya Arenaria. Maya Arenaria? Yes, of course. Yes, we've done some work with mushrooms. They were excellent. Uh, by the way, I understand... You saw Mr. Stevens just before he was shot down. If I'd stayed ten minutes longer, he might still be alive. May I ask the purpose of your call? I was delivering the monthly reports. No special trouble you came to discuss? No, sir. You met Peter Dowd, coming in at the foundation as you were going out. How did he look? In a hurry. How so? He just pushed past with his face turned away. You're sure it was he? Yes, I had seen him at the foundation maybe two or three times before. Were you aware that Mr. Stevens and Mr. Dowd were both apparently in love with the same young lady? I'm a research worker, Mr. Wolf. I wouldn't know about Mr. Stevens' personal affairs. Just an hour ago, before Inspector Kramer took him from here, young Dowd admitted that he'd been there today. I didn't think I could be mistaken. But he said only because Stevens had phoned him to come. Were you there when that call was made? No, there was no call to Dowd while I was there. Excuse me, Mr. Swartz. Yes, Nero Wolf speaking. This is Saul Panzer. Yes, Saul, you're still... Yeah, uh... still down here at the city market. Looks as if you were right. Indeed? One of their trucks just pulled in with a load of full crates. Top quality produce. I'll try not to wince when you send in the expense sheets. Any other confirmation? Internal revenue records show no taxes paid on income by the Tolliver Foundation. Thank you, Saul. Phone any information as you get it. You'll forgive me again, Mr. Swartz. Archie. Yes, boss? Could you ask Miss Dunning to step in now? Coming up. Come in now, Miss Dunning. Good evening, Miss Dunning. You've quite recovered from the chloroform? Mr. Goodwin's been helping me. He's been rubbing my forehead, and I'm... Spare me any further details. Miss Dunnings, would you mind telling me again how it was you came to find yourself in Mr. Dowd's apartment? Well... It was the phone call that got me to go over. It was a man whispering. He didn't give his name, but he said if I came to that address, apartment 4C, I could learn something about Mr. Stevens. You went to apartment 4C, and then? That's really all I know. Just after the door opened, before I could see him, this coat was thrown over my head, and then he must have given me the chloroform. It was Peter Dowd, of course. Dowd? Who else could it have been? It could have been Mr. Swartz here. Mr. Wolf, you're joking. Am I, Swartz? Joking or drunk? Why should I... Uh... For the ancient reason, Swartz. Money. For the racket you had and wanted to keep. Racket? Mr. Swartz was... The... Swartz is no more of an ecologist than Mr. Goodwin here. A moment ago, he accepted Mara Arenaria as a mushroom. It happens to be a common clam. Common on nearly any beach. 
rare in inland Pennsylvania. Stevens knew I didn't go in for all that Latin stuff. I could understand that you might be useful without it, Swartz. But to get away from your station operations, you faked the scientific knowledge you never had. All right. Suppose I am more of a farmer than a fancy scientist. Our job at the research station is to raise vegetable crops, isn't it? As you worked at Swartz, of course. You turned the agricultural research project into a commercial farm. All expenses met from tax-free funds, and not a cent of return shown for the produce sold. So that's why Saul Panzer drew the rutabagus run. Stephen had the innocence of a specialist interested in his own field only. But even Stevens finally began to get onto those doctored reports of your sports. And when was it the Internal Revenue men began asking questions? Look, Goodman, is this fat guy out of his mind? You had to get rid of Stevens after the last inspection trip. Were you even counting on taking over his job after Peter Dowd was put away for Stevens' murder? Mary, if you'll just explain to this lunatic... Watch it, Archie, watch it. I've got his gun. Droidly done, Archie. Now, wait a minute. This is a thirty-two, and it was a thirty-eight that did the murder. Mr. Wolf, that's my bag. You can't... Take this pistol from it, I have, my dear. This extraordinary effort you put me to of actually leaving my chair to secure this weapon, we'll add that to the score against you. Mr. Wolf, if you aren't too tucker to answer, that gun from Mary's bag. It's a thirty-eight. It may be the one used on Stevens. But Mary couldn't. She didn't. If ballistics tells us that this is the weapon, then Swartz must have passed it to her for safekeeping till it could be planted in young Dad's apartment or car or whatever. I didn't have anything to do with it. Miss Dunning, you had to do it more than you know. Do you realize that if Mr. Goodwin hadn't found you at the Dyer Department when he did, that you might not be alive at this moment? You were the one person who knew Swartz's crime. Mary, don't listen to him. She's listening, Swartz. Miss Dunning, you thought the chloroform scheme was directed solely against Peter Dowd. And so you let Swartz talk you into it. Mr. Goodwin tells me the door of that closet was sealed with scotch tape. I didn't know that. Schwartz actually tried... Your chloroform sleep was meant to turn into a permanent one, Miss Dunning. And I was trying to cover for him. All right, here it is. Schwartz planned it all. He did try the hit and run, and he did shoot Stevens. He's a liar. Mary, you've been juggling those books since... Say the details for Inspector Kramer, Schwartz. There's guilt enough to be divided between you and guilt enough to burn you both. You're being noble and not rubbing it in. Don't I merit a full explanation? Archie, I'm concentrating on truffles. Do we dig out a bird, or shall we have them in an omelet again? Mr. Wolf, look, I've got a white flag up, and I'm asking. All right, Mary and Schwartz wanted Stevens out of the way. And all right, they tried to hang it on Peter Dowd. But why'd Mary come here and try to get you into it in the first place? As far as she knew that night, Archie, Stevens wasn't to get back to New York alive. Swartz's hit-and-run ambush in New Jersey was supposed to take care of Stevens on his way back from Pennsylvania. By luck, Stevens survived the accident, and Swartz had to follow him here to finish him off. Yes, but I still don't see why... Mary came here to establish her innocence by pretending to seek her help. Oh. And she thought to keep suspicion from Swartz by creating the imaginary figure of a threatening call at the office several days before she knew Stevens meant to consult me about Swartz, and she could guess Jonas Dowd would call me in eventually. 
Stephen said he wanted to consult you that morning when I... That morning when you couldn't hear Stevens out because you were seeing him as Mary Dunning wanted us to see him. Oh, a trick operated with two vanishing acts to explain. Stevens's and Mary's. There you have it, Archie. And both fake. A straight business trip branded a run-out or a snatch only by Mary's account, and then the chloroform act at Dowd's apartment. You have it in full. Mm-hmm. Except how you knew she was lying to start with. Point one, the girl offered no fee, no prospect of a fee. Mm-hmm. Stay at that. Could anyone claim knowledge of my reputation, Archie, and still seriously expect that I would take an arduous labor for the love of it? Oh, mm. I'm ashamed of myself. Point two, she told us of a caller coming to see Stevens. Of Stevens asking her to fetch a policeman, then changing his mind. When asked to call a policeman, what woman's curiosity would be satisfied by being told not to bother? <laughs> How utterly brilliant you are. Hmm, yes. Archie, a bottle of beer. All right. And now back to a serious problem, you know. I think I see a compromise on these troubles. Between bird and omelet? Archie, why not both? Ah. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Charles O'Neill was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin, and Charlotte Lawrence, Howard McNear, Mona Keneally, Lamont Johnson, and Herb Butterfield. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Slaughtered Santa Clauses. Don Stanley speaking. Thank you very much for listening. In fact, all this week, I hope you'll join me next week for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's Mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means... There's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.